Since you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, have you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, why did this happen to me? Well, you're not alone. I did too. But this is a time when you're given two choices. One, you let those four nasty words that you've been told, you have breast cancer, stop us from living. Or two, we can take what we're being given to us and use it as fuel on our path to healing, growth, self-discovery, and to bring out the best of us and become the hero of our journey while we get to inspire others to do the same. Join my inspiring guests and me on our mission to help women just like you with what we discovered on our hero's journey through breast cancer. This is a place where we share all the tools and knowledge we've learned to develop the courage, resilience, mindset and self-love needed to start living your full life like you might never have done before. I am Grace DeAngeli and I welcome you to Breast Cancer Hero's Journey Podcast. Welcome home. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm going to talk about my amazing guest who's in a woman who helps countless women with many different breast conditions including breast cancer. Now Dr. Chantelle Thornton is a well-known specialist in breast cancer surgeries in both the private and public clinics. She studied both here in Australia and around the world including America and Italy. She's also takes part in many charities to raise awareness for breast cancer and the importance of mental health in women and many as well as countless other charities but last but not least she's my breast surgeon who I am so ever grateful so welcome to my podcast Dr Chantelle Thornton. Um, I guess the first question I have is what made you passionate about working in the medical field that you're in right now? Um, So breast cancer surgery per se? Mm Yeah so, look, I have a very strong family history of breast cancer with um, most of the relatives on my maternal side of the family affected by breast cancer. Um, so after training to be a surgeon, I thought, you know, what could I do that would make a difference to the lives of my female patients but also have a positive impact um, on women in society, particularly given that many of my relatives had had late diagnoses mm-hmm. and how could I use my gender um, in a positive way um, in the surgical field because most women, most surgeons in Australia are men. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought I would therefore become a breast cancer surgeon, uh, one, because, you know, I love working with women and most of my patients are women, um, and two, because I have got a family history and I wanted to make a difference, um, particularly in the rural communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, maximising my gender to, um, you know, to its fullest potential in a very male-dominated environment. Right. Yeah. Okay. So basically, there, is it, is it, do you think that's just Australia alone where there's, or is it worldwide where there's less female surgeons that deal with um, breast cancer? Well, actually, it's not necessarily female surgeons dealing with breast cancer because actually in general, there are probably in Victoria, there are more women that deal with breast cancer than men. Mm-hmm. But if you look at all of the surgical specialties, women are underrepresented. So 
when I became a surgeon, about 8% of all surgeons in Australia were women. Okay. And many of those chose breast. Mm-hmm. Um, however, now it's about 30%. So we are getting better. And Australia probably leads the way in um, this area um, because we do have many more female medical students. And so mm-hmm. we are uh, seeing more women enrol in the surgical program. Mm-hmm. So about fifty-five percent of all medical students are now women, right? And so we're hoping that you know these things will change, and that more women will be attracted to surgery, mm-hmm. um, and that more women will do you know the 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 breast cancer style surgery, and also the non sort of female dominated type surgery. So you know orthopedics and neurosurgery and cardiac mm-hmm. surgery things that t- women don't traditionally choose. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's really good. Hopefully, there is more women out there who are, who encourage one another to do that because it'll be beautiful as well. So, in an interview, you said about uh, you know, and quote me if I'm wrong. You said about seventeen thousand women are, are diagnosed with breast cancer in Australia per year, and that around sixty percent is the early detection. Now. Is the early detection, you think, is it because now we have more um, like you got MRIs, mammograms and ultrasound or is there an increase of breast cancer out there? Yeah, it's twofold. Um, One, we are getting better at finding it. We're finding it very small. And in some places they're saying, well, that's over-diagnosis because you're finding small, low-grade cancers in elderly people that are probably never going to kill them. Mm. But then the other side of that is that when we look at the statistics of breast cancer, we can see that particularly in the Western world, you know, the numbers of breast cancers rocketing on. I mean, yeah. epidemiologically, it is a disease of the Western world and it is becoming more and more common every year. Yeah. And so while we are, there is some, you know, element to overdiagnosis because, you know, we're getting very good at the imaging and we can see things there were very tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there it is also true to say, however, that there are many, many more cases and it's not just due to the fact that we're picking them more up. It's due to the fact that there are more numbers and there right. are more numbers among younger people and mm. this is probably associated with our lifestyle. Mm. So breast cancer causes a multifactorial and we do find it is more common in the affluent Western world and therefore we start saying, well, is it something that we are doing to ourselves? And we start looking at, you know, diet, exercise, alcohol, cigarette smoking, obesity, mm-hmm. um, all of these things, which we know can impact on all cancers, mm-hmm. um, but particularly breast cancer. So it is much more common than it used to be. And it's not just due to overdiagnosis. Right. And also having said that too, because then a lot of, uh, a lot of you're saying that a lot of women are getting picked up younger and they don't necessarily have to be in the BRCA, do they? No, in fact, most people that have breast cancer do not carry a genetic mutation. Mm. It's very uncommon for people to carry a genetic mutation. So um, about 1% to 5% of all breast cancers will be in people that have a genetic mutation. About maybe 15 to 20% will be in those that have some sort of family history. But the majority of women will be in the average risk category. That is, mm. they will not have any family history or they might only, say, for example, have one relative. So just being female alone is the most common variable. Right. Okay. And do you think that's going to, because at the moment, um, 
Is it the 40 plus that should go and do these tests? Do you think that going forward that there might be the call where women much younger go for a pre-screening and not necessarily because they find a lump but because, you know, they could get it earlier, you know, or do or yeah, is that just still yeah. that category where no. well, if you're younger, yeah. You don't need to worry yet. Yeah. No, look, actually, it's more of a financial, like a financial decision on the government, Grace, mm. basically where they'll get more bang for their buck. So they get obviously more diagnoses between the age of 50 to 74, right. which is the area that they, which is the age group where they encourage people to come and they remind them and call them back mm-hmm. for, for recall for imaging. If you're 40 to 50, you can present, but they won't remind you and they won't invite you. If you're yeah. over 74, they won't remind you and they won't provide, invite you. It doesn't mean that your risk of getting breast cancer is lower after 74. Yeah. In fact, your risk of getting breast cancer is higher. But that's right. not from a financial perspective where mm. the government's getting most of the bang for their buck in terms of return for society if they, you know, find a problem. Mm. And also we know that women from 40 to 50 will often have very dense breasts because they're premenopausal. And so Mm. mammography, particularly in breast screen, where they usually only do digital mammogram um, at the first instance in in Victoria, um, is not very accurate in younger ladies if the breast tissue is very dense. And so Mm. as a screening tool, it's not very accurate. And so they try to weed those people out of their system because it doesn't make their numbers look good because they get a lot of sort of false positives and false negatives so they might be calling more people back because they can't see stuff and then they might be missing stuff as well so they don't really want those people in their screening protocol Mm -hmm. certainly in other countries around the world they do start their screening younger in the in the 40s um, but in australia they're they're currently only looking at the 50 to 74 age group Right, right. Okay. Yeah, because that's something that like speaking to, I spoke to one lady, she was diagnosed at the age of 22. um, And obviously for her, it was, she found a lump and she did the right thing. So, but like, you know, what we're saying is basically has to turn into something that's physically being able to, you know, to be able to go, oh, you've got something, you know? Um, So that is, that is a passion of mine that, you know, I'm, I would love to one day any woman be able to get a, a pre-screening if they wanted to where it's not out of pocket. But like you said, it's it's that's hard because they obviously want to keep that, you know, that number. You know, if yes. you're in this number, you're good. If you're out of this number, well, you know. Yes, yeah, and it's a, it's a statistical quite type epidemiological number based on, you know, the number of, scans that they need to do to get a positive result which will be you know financially Mm. sort of I guess um paying for the investigation if you like you know so it's all mathematical modeling you know that's done I mean it doesn't sound great when you're talking about human lives but I know what you mean most screening programs that's what it's like Mm. yeah absolutely I I, I I understand that that is important to know that well, this is a thing too yeah, because the, I, I mean the other thing is yep yep oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that if someone does have a family history, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
so arbitrary we say oh why don't you go for imaging and why don't you um do that 10 years younger than your youngest relative that had breast cancer when we say that there's no evidence to say that they should do that we don't know why we're pulling 10 years out of a hat you know to say that this is the number but but we do that and so I suppose I'd say to women if you do have someone that's had a family history in your family a first or second degree relative look at their age and Mm. maybe start your program through your GP you know, 10 years younger than that person had it. And, I mean, that's something that every lady can do, find out their family history and start simply with something like an ultrasound. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree too because... We don't advocate mammograms, you know, in the young age group. Correct. They're painful. (laughs) Even with someone with a size breast like mine. (laughs) Also Um, because the radiation involved in mammography, you don't want to be irradiating people all the time. Yeah, that's true. I get that. I I understand that. Now, having talking about uh, something else that I read as well, if I if I can bring it up, um, your a couple of months ago, you mentioned on Facebook how you use the first time in Australia a scout radar detector. So how how important was it to get it approved here? And what yeah, it, it was hard to get it approved. And, I mean, we've still only been, we've still only had it approved for, um, a, you know, limited number of cases. So every case I do, I have to get independent approval per case from the hospital. Um, And, you know, it is an expensive item. The Mm -hmm. detector itself costs about $60,000, which I have been able to get a philanthropist, a very generous friend and donor to donate to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And each reflector that goes in does cost the patient about $900. And, again, we have been able to reduce that individual cost. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about it is that it's exciting because, you know, I was the first surgeon to do that in Australia, but it is also exciting for patients because, in general, and I think you know this, Grace, the way you Mm -hmm. localise tumours if you can't feel them and they're small is you try and put fishing wires into them, little wires. Mm-hmm. And if we have another technique, it means the patient doesn't have to go through that procedure on the day of surgery, which can be painful, but can also be psychologically very confronting to yeah. put the wire. They can have that little reflector put in at the time of their biopsy mm-hmm. and it can sit there for up to a year. Um, and, you know, it can still very accurately determine the place it's been it's been placed in for a very long time. And so I think having the scout radar will revolutionise our localization technique. Mm. But it's just about, you know, introducing it to the hospital and getting it funded. Yeah, yeah. Because you said, and you know, yep. also maybe getting the health funds to more funds to do some funding for it as well. Right, yeah. And I guess, like you said, it's such, like the way I got, I, I, I sort of read about it, it's just a lot easier and, you know, more simple. Well, not simple, obviously, for the surgeon, but for the patient to have it done that way as opposed to all the other bells and whistles that you have to do on the day because that can be yeah. overwhelming. Um, exactly. Yeah, because, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I see, to me, um, I think it, for me it was like I don't care what you have to do. 
If you have to put half an elephant in there, let's just get it done. But I know that for some women, they say to me, oh my God, that moment I had that, or that moment I had to do that. And I think, you know, not all of us are all the same, you know, but having said that too, what, um, also, you know, a lot of people who have to have their mastectomies done, a mastectomy is quite big. So whether one breast or both breasts, and I know you spoke about it too, where if you don't have to remove the breast, and I guess that's at a medical point of view, you got to know when it's a, no, we have to do the whole thing. And when it's a, no, we can save the breast, but we can do what we can do. Um, I find that as well, you know, reading that you're, you look at that option and not just, no, nah, we're cutting it off is probably really good for a woman's point of view because a lot of women without a breast, even though they're breast cancer survivors, they now feel a little bit mutated, if I could use the word, and they think something's missing and they don't feel that feminine side anymore. So, you know, um, so what scenarios do women need to do the mastectomy on both or on one of their breasts, I guess? Mm. it is a personal decision Mm -hmm. um and i suppose that if the patient has small breasts and multifocal breast cancer Mm -hmm. or small breasts and a very large breast cancer then unfortunately you know they have to do a mastectomy now i offer all my patients that i possibly can an immediate breast reconstruction Mm -hmm. um because you know i think it's the right thing to do and it's a woman's right Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then if ladies have a very strong family history of breast cancer, um, if they, uh, have a genetic mutation, they may decide to do that, um, operation, um, you know, anyway, Mm. or if they're very young, they may say, listen, I never want to go through this again. Um, I will do a mastectomy because I want to reduce the chance that I'll ever be back here again Um, because I've got a long time to live. I'm 30 and I will live to 80. I don't want to have the fear of the cancer coming Mm. back. Yeah, yeah. And I get that because I did have one girl who said, no, I don't want to. She was like, I don't want to do the radiation. I don't want to do the oncology. I just want them out. So she had a double mastectomy done. Yeah, so, so again, that's another point. Radiotherapy, you can try and avoid radiotherapy if you do the mastectomy. Right, okay. Um, but not always. If you've got a large breast cancer or if you're lymph node positive, sometimes you have to have post-mastectomy radiotherapy. Yep, yes. And remember, yep. like, the reconstructive options are really quite amazing now. Mm. Um, and so people can get really nice-looking breasts. But I do take your point. I mean, you are losing an organ. And, I mean, you know, the breasts are associated with sexuality, femininity, all of that stuff. And so it is important to consider that. Yeah. The other thing is sometimes women will need to have a mastectomy for widespread ductal carcinoma in situ or DCIS. And while those women don't have invasive cancer, sometimes ductal carcinoma in situ or DCIS is more broad than um than an invasive cancer and so sometimes those women will be required to you know go forward for um go forward for um uh, you know mastectomy instead of a wide vocal yeah yeah and also um so so i also there's a lot of women that um 
at the moment that they're either due for their screening, their yearly recall, or they're in that age bracket where they have to have breast cancer done during this time of COVID. Because there's a lot of women as well that obviously they've got their recall, their yearly recall, and they've or they're in that age bracket where they have to get checked. And they're not coming because of COVID because they're fearing, you know, oh, my God, I don't want to go out because I might get COVID and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's, I don't, you know, I've, I'd be coming regardless, you know what I mean? For me, um, the fact that I have to be checked to make sure that I'm good is a lot more important to me than to get COVID, uh, and that's my personal opinion. But what do you say for those women? Because there's a lot of women that, you know, I'm scared. I'm scared for them that yeah. they'll get, they'll mm. get, uh, you know, too late. Yeah. yeah. Look, unfortunately, what you're saying is a reality. And you know, March particularly this year, we saw a lot of late diagnosis, local advanced breast cancers. I would normally have maybe three women, four women a week presenting. I was having 16, 17 women a week wow. presenting with breast cancer, locally advanced breast cancer. Um, breast cancer that was inoperable breast cancer requiring chemotherapy first so it's happened Mm. um so secondly what i would say is that it is entirely safe to come into the hospital for a mammogram and ultrasound if you have any breast symptoms don't put it off don't delay your recall Mm. um people get scan phobia anyway where Mm. they every year they worry and stress out about the scans they can't sleep the week before they can't sleep the night before they're stressing out before they see me and (laughs) so if you give them an excuse not to come they will use that excuse Mm. um and they will say look you know I couldn't do it and I wasn't able to do it you know it is safe to do it please come and do it January, I had 450 people waiting for recall. It's an arduous task for our administration. Um, And, you know, if you imagine how bad you'd feel if there was something there that was curable and was operable that was no longer or that required chemotherapy when if it had been found six months a year before, may not have. So, I mean, it's a simple thing to do. It's very safe. We're keeping the rooms very, very safe. We're you know, people are waiting in their cars. They're coming in one at a time without support people. The mammogram and um, ultrasound centres are very safe. The hospitals are also very safe places at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, and I agree. Because like those outpatient settings. Yeah, well, the thing is I made my appointment with you um, just recently and, you know, even when COVID hit, I remember thinking, I'm still going. You know, I don't care. I'm still going. So, and I, and I, and I don't want to pass you for time, but if there's, you know, if there's, there's one question I, I, I was really, because I know we spoke about how, how important the mindset of women are, because a lot of women come in with, you know, that simple idea that it's going to kill them straight away. It's going to kill them in the next week, mm. in the yeah. next two weeks. Uh, I know that fear. I know how it feels. You know, the first thing you think is I'm going to die. Well, guess what? We're all going to die. And and that's what I'm going to put. Well, that's going to wrap my wrap around my head. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to die of this. So, you know, and like I said, we spoke about that. So, um, so how important is it for someone who's going through breast cancer to have a, a really good mindset, do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, I think Positive attitude, hope um, is very important for your immune system. I think the way you treat the patient is so important from the outset. Um, More people in Australia are going to die of heart disease than they are breast cancer. 
if I tell you you've got hypertension, you've got hypercholesterolemia or high cholesterol, high blood pressure, you're overweight, you don't exercise, you know, you won't, you won't look at me and think, well, I'm going to die of heart disease. But if I tell you you've got cancer, you automatically think I'm going to die of the disease. Mm. Guess what? If you've got breast cancer, 94% of ladies will not die of breast cancer. They will die of something else. Yeah. And what we know is that in a stressed animal, if your heart rate is very high and you're very anxious, you're very stressed, when we go to harvest the tumor or remove the tumor, it will impact on the way that the tumor um, seeds throughout the body and the way that it metastasizes and the way that your immune system fights that that um, process. Yeah. And so what we do know, and there is evidence behind this, Australian-based evidence particularly, that if you give someone a blood pressure medication to slow a beta blocker to slow their heart down before surgery and then you take them to theatre, we think that that will impact on their survival because it will make them calmer. It will make them better able to deal with cancer and the repercussions of cancer. And so that is part of the reason why my practice is like it is. It's been taken out of the hospital. It does not have a sign about cancer. It is more like a home environment. There are people that laugh there. It is a nice environment because most women that come through the door are going to live a long time. They need to have hope. They need to have a positive attitude. They need to know that from the outset because I need them to be in the best shape mentally and physically and emotionally yeah. um, in order for them to get the best result. And so they need to be calm and they need to be treated in a good environment with people that listen to them and care for them and support them in a holistic situation. Yeah, and I agree 10,000% with that. I really do. And that's why I brag about you. And I brag about you because you're my surgeon, honestly. Um, from the moment I met you, I knew that this is where I want to go because I like the way you thought, though I, I love the way you practice, you know, and everything else. And I thought, no, this is what I need in my life. I'm a sort of woman that I needed someone like you in my life to help me through my journey. So I really appreciate that. And I'll leave you with one last question. If there were three yeah. questions, every woman being diagnosed with breast cancer, what would these three what would be three questions they would ask a breast surgeon if they were diagnosed? What are three questions they should yeah. ask you? Okay. Um I think firstly you should make sure that they are a breast surgeon. Uh, yeah. And I mean by that I say that many women get treated by surgeons that don't, I mean, they're probably very good at doing their their case, but they also mm. do other types of surgery. They do gallbladders, appendix, etc. And so I think it is important that if you're going to see a breast surgeon, you ask, are they a specialized breast surgeon, a member of breast surge ANS? Um, and you know, how many breast surgical cases do they do? Um, secondly, I think it's every woman's right, and we know that it is also improved survival that their case dis is discussed at a multidisciplinary meeting. Mm. So I think every woman's wow. case should be discussed because we know that it does improve survival. This is a meeting whereby the surgeon presents the case and in the room is the oncologist, the radiation oncologist, the medical oncologist, the radiologist, the pathologist, the breast care nurses. And so that surgeon is not making a decision about that patient based on their own thought processes. Mm. They have to, it's like big brother really, they've mm. got to actually present the case and then everyone can critique them. If someone in the room does not think that what they're doing is appropriate, they have a duty of care, even though they don't know the patient, to say that's not appropriate. Yeah. 
And we know that that does improve survival. And we know that many women in Australia are not getting offered access to that. Thirdly, I think that women need to be offered from a surgical perspective, all of the options. So even if the surgeon thinks it's appropriate to do a lumpectomy on the patient, they need to tell them, but actually, no, there is the option of mastectomy and immediate reconstruction. You must be offered immediate reconstruction if you have, you know, a a breast cancer that is achievable Mm. to remove with immediate reconstruction. You also um, need to be offered, you know, a lumpectomy if you're suitable for it with radiotherapy, even if you live in the country and there's no radiotherapy around. You need to be offered an immediate reconstruction even if you live in the country and there is no plastic surgeon or reconstructive surgeon to do your case. Um, And you need to, you know, make sure um, that if you have a specific type of breast cancer, like a triple negative breast cancer or a HER2 positive breast cancer, that you had the opportunity to speak to a medical oncologist about maybe having medication or chemotherapy first. Mm-hmm. We call that neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think finally, there are a couple of issues for younger women. So I'm going to go four and five points for yep, younger women fine. particularly. And one is the fertility discussion. So mm-hmm. if they haven't had children or they want to have more and they're of childbearing age, they need to request a fertility consult. And then if they are, uh, if they have a family history or if they have a triple negative breast cancer or a HER2 positive breast cancer and they're less than sort of 50 years of age, they need to offer be offered genetic counselling and genetic testing. Perfect. So, I mean, I think they would be the sort of five main things mm. that I would say. And if you ask those questions, you know, you will be able to weed out, you know, whether or not the surgeon is actually a specialty in breast cancer care. Because it could should come straight away to the surgeon. And then if they are worried about their imaging and they think, you know what, I've got dense breasts, this hasn't been well picked up on mammogram, do they qualify for a baitable MRI? Because MRI has just become rebatable for women with breast cancer now. Yeah. And so again, you know, some centers don't offer it. Mm. Just because they don't offer it doesn't mean you shouldn't get it. You know, so it's about being your own advocate and standing firm, regardless of your financial perspective, you know, your cultural background, where you live, all of those parameters, you need to stand up and, and you know, um, be your own advocate. Wow. And, and you know, get the breast care nurse on board too because yeah. they will help yeah. you, you know, Absolutely. they will definitely help you, the breast care nurse. Yeah, I... That's that's exactly what I, I I was hoping to hear from you because that's exactly what I want to tell people. I want uh, this is what I want to share with them because a lot of people are scared. They're not sure what to do. They think, well, that's my only option. It's only option A, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. Just speak to your surgeon. So, yeah. and ask for a second opinion. If you're not happy, no one minds. Go for a second opinion because you don't want to have regret at the end of the day, and you want to make sure that all your options have been explored. And that someone is thinking ahead for you, that someone has your back and someone's already thinking 10 years ahead Mm. for you in your individual case. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, that is just perfect. Um, You know, I really appreciate your time. I really do. I'm sorry if I've taken a little bit more than I was meant to. No, no, I love to talk, Grace, as you know. (laughs) So do I. I mean, mean, there were so many more questions I could have asked you, but I I don't want to keep you away from your family. Next time. Next time. Absolutely. So. All right. Thanks, Grace. All right. Bye. 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 
Thank you so much for joining me. I know you could have chosen any other show to spend your time with today. And I'm really grateful and humble that you've chosen me instead. And I hope I've been able to serve you in any way. You know, I hope this will become your go-to place to help you heal, feel supported and discover yourself along your hero's journey. And if this episode helped you today, please subscribe and share it with someone you know that would benefit from this. As I've learned about my hero's journey through breast cancer, nothing we receive is for us to keep but to be shared. And I hope I can serve you further by sharing some of the tools I've learned along the way. And it's hard for me to share it all in one simple episode. So if you go to www.theangelsofgrace.me forward slash resources right now, you can find a collection of tools that might be exactly what you need to take you on your hero's journey. And given that I don't know if you're listening to this podcast at the start, the middle or the end of the day, I want to wish you an amazing morning, an amazing afternoon or an amazing evening. I am Grace DeAngeli and you listen to the Breast Cancer Hero's Journey podcast. Thanks again for being here. Much love and light.